Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That's right, buddy. We are bringing it back from the holidays. I guess it's still the holidays. We yes. still have New Year's coming up. Don't, all... don't try to end the holiday season early. <laughs> well, we're coming back from Christmas, at least, with an Ask How to Money episode. We've got five great listener questions coming up, including uh, one about whether a listener should pay off his mortgage or maybe do something else with that money. We've got another one with a listener who's trying to figure out how to avoid paying some credit card interest that she has coming up. Uh, and we also are going to talk about MVNOs. I'm not going to actually give away what that means, but it's something that every single person who's listening to this episode could start participating in that would allow them to save money every single month. Dang, that was you, good. You dude. like that tease? Yeah, I'm sticking around <laughs> for that. <laughs> I'm glad you are, buddy, because I couldn't do this without you. I'd like to see you try. Um, <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> Solo hosted. Come on, man. 
Welcome to How to Money. I'm Matt. <laughs> there we go. Today we're talking. About <laughs> uh, no, so we're, earlier we're talking about the holidays, right? Around the holidays, uh, I picked up a bottle of scotch from Costco. I know I hate on Costco. Are you turning into me? I'm, I'm not. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm definitely an Aldi guy, but uh, around the holidays, I, I picked up a bottle of scotch. Uh, I've heard you talk about the liquor at Costco, how they've got some pretty good stuff. And I was there with my father-in-law and I was kind of kind of looking at stuff and they've got this, they have this giant bottle of blended scotch for under 20 bucks man and i feel like the the joel and me couldn't pass up that deal <laughs> i saw it and it was a big bottle too and i thought there's no way see with with your finer tastes i thought you would have gone with the the kirkland signature single malt 22 year old or whatever I, but I, that's definitely how i roll but i was like you know what it was it was kind of getting towards the end of the month i've already spent a good amount of uh, money this month i didn't want to kind of completely blow the budget out of the water that would have uh, gotten kate upset at me for having run through all of our entertainment money on some Something that only I am really into. She doesn't really like the single malt scotch quite as much as I do. But with blended scotch, it's a little bit more like whiskey. It's a little, you know, it's not as peaty, it's not as smoky. So I felt it's something I could get her on board with as well. But yeah, I remember you've talked about the liquor there before. And so I went ahead and pounced. But that leads me to my question, uh, which is, do you feel like it's frugal or cheap to take advantage of a deal that, uh, say, a store like Costco is offering? But I myself am not actually a member. <laughs> so I hate on them all the time. But then when I saw a deal, I was just like, ooh, I'm going to get that. Yeah, let, let's just be honest. First, you hate on them without cause. Costco has done nothing to you, nothing to deserve um, this uh, denigration that you constantly pour on top of them. It's true. I, I see it as a way to set ourselves apart a little bit. Okay, you know, like, right. you, like you're the Costco guy, I'm the Aldi guy. That's true. But I don't really dislike Costco for any reason. All right. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. That heals some wounds. Um, but no, I totally think it's frugal. And here's the thing. A lot of state laws allow people to access certain things that Costco offers, even if you're not a Costco member. So um, you can, in many states, still buy liquor from the Costco uh, liquor area. In most states, too, you can get a prescription filled at, a, at the Costco pharmacy, which can save you big bucks. Um, you can go in to get your eyes checked at the optometrist. So I don't think that's um, cheap at all. That's just frugal, man. That's using the resources that you can get for free without having to buy the membership. So if you're not into Costco, that's not your thing, you can still access maybe a, a few of the finer things that Costco offers without having to have that membership. And I also hear that you don't have to be a member to eat from the food court. Oh, that, I think that's true too. And by food court, I mean the pizza and hot dog options. <laughs> Which, during the pandemic, I believe those are the only options they have. So, yeah, limited. Yeah, I was reading somewhere, and they, they said that you just, like, walk in the exit. Like, you don't go in the entrance, because to go in the entrance, you have to show them your card. But yep. you just walk in the exit, and then you walk to where you buy the food. And, I'm, like, that makes me think, well, why don't you then just kind of walk to the rest of the store? But I guess in the end, you have to make a purchase it, with your card. Exactly, yeah. You know, if you're checking out at a, at a typical register, but not at the food court you could, area. You, yeah, exactly. You don't have okay. to show your, your Costco membership at the food court. But I guess you could go, like, try to pick some stuff up but when you walk to the register they're gonna ask for that um costco membership and you're gonna be like oh sorry <laughs> and they're gonna turn you away but i'm glad you got your scotch um, let me know how it is i will all right well let's mention the beer that we're having on the show today this one is trader joe's vintage spiced ale and if you have a trader joe's where you live they sell this every holiday season it's a worthwhile beer to pick up it's only six bucks on the shelf um so it's a deal it is a deal um so if you're into belgian style beers well we will tell you what we think of this one at the end of the episode uh, but for now Let's get on to the listener questions. For anybody out there that has a question they'd like Matt and I to tackle on a future episode, just go to howtomoney.com slash ask, and there are simple instructions there for how you can submit a voice memo to the show to be hopefully featured on an upcoming episode. Matt, let's get to the first one of the day. This one's about talking to a significant other about money. 
Hey, Joel and Matt. My name's Jason, a listener from New Hampshire. I'm up this way for graduate school, actually. If you're ever up this way, stop by Keene for uh, Branch and Blade Brewery. Uh, They have probably one of the best sour beers I've ever had. Uh, My question today is, I'm having difficulty talking to my girlfriend about finances. It seems like when we talk about money, she either shies away from the topic or does not want to listen to my recommendations. I'm slightly more spendthrift than she is, although I'm with it well within my budget. But she's more of a penny pincher, and uh, she just frequently assumes that she can't afford anything, even though that's far from the truth. I'm not sure how to make her realize that money can be used as a tool for happiness and experiences. I just don't know how to facilitate a conversation of finances and money um, with her. We've been dating for almost four years now, uh, actually over four years now, and she's the love of my life. Uh, Any tips or recommendations would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Jason, thanks for the beer recommendation. I always look forward to listener beer recommendations, Matt, because I never get tired of trying new craft beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Branch and Blade as well. That's I feel like that's a that sounds like a brewery that's up my alley. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> it sounds like a brewery that's of the earth. We're probably going to like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and, and Jason, let's get to your question. Um, well, first off, you, you mentioned in your question, you mentioned recommendations, trying to offer your girlfriend recommendations. And um, I would say typically with money being a, a subject that can be really sensitive, a lot of people are just not going to instinctively respond well to suggestions. Um, And so I I think often the reason that the topic can be sensitive is because talking about money can be a little embarrassing. It can feel a little hard, especially if it wasn't talked about or handled well in your house growing up, in your girlfriend's house in particular. Um, And she maybe prefers to keep the subject more private because that's how she was raised, because she was raised not to talk about money or that talking about money was a bad thing or that it wasn't done in polite society. It wasn't civilized. Um, That's kind of the way a lot of people grew up and and it can create some weird dynamics around money um, for sure. Of course, you know, Matt and I would say it's important to work together to overcome that history in order to have healthy conversations moving forward. And of course, if that is the case for her, I certainly don't know, uh, but it is important to, to then work together to overcome any sort of uh, negative history with money and, and talking about money in order to have healthy conversations moving forward. And so, yeah, we want to do our best to help you and your girlfriend have those um, conversations moving forward. So, so Matt, let's kind of get into some of our uh, best tips for Jason in, in making that happen. Yeah, I, I think something else too, I want to point out that it sounds like, Jason, that you're doing well is that you're sticking to a budget yourself. You know, this is an awesome place to start. I know when Kate and I, when we were getting serious and starting to have money conversations, she wasn't into talking about personal finance at all. <laughs> she completely avoided it uh, until she realized that you know the magic of a budget. Uh, when she started seeing a budget not as a tool that limited her, but as a tool that gave her freedom to spend money, it completely changed how she approached our money conversations, right? Like she didn't have to feel bad or, or guilty about spending a little bit of extra maybe when we we're going out one night because you know like that's a decision we made together when we created the budget at the beginning of the month of course that just means that we're you know maybe going to spend a little bit less next week until we reach the end of the month and so for you for your girlfriend if she can begin seeing a budget simply as a spending plan for the month uh, she might realize a lot of joy uh, and freedom as well yeah, Matt, I think a budget is a good place to start. And, and talking about what a budget actually means is a huge part of that. And I think you're right. I think uh, a budget can and should mean freedom. But most of us feel like a budget means 
chains. <laughs> it feels like right. it's inhibiting our ability to spend. But really, like you said, it, it, your goals should be informing your budget. And then your budget is going to allow you that freedom to achieve those spending uh, and savings goals that you have. And so that needs to be part of the discussion is reframing what a budget means. Yeah, it removes the emotions from the conversation, right? Like in the moment, you're not thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I? It's like, okay, no, does this fit within the budget? It really comes down to uh, it comes down to the numbers at the point. It's not a judgment call. It's like, okay, does this or does this not fit in the budget? How much money do we have left? If you have money left, then spend that money. But you know what? If you don't, well, there's nothing to really decide. It's already been decided. You can't spend that money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I think another thing that Jason should do in order to help make these conversations palatable is to, is to make them feel safe. Sometimes people shy away from money conversations because they pop up on a whim when a behavior that maybe one person in the partnership doesn't love arises. Like for instance, hey, I just looked at our Amazon account, our joint Amazon account. I saw some kind of crazy spending. It looks like we bought a lot of stuff on a whim. And that is just not a helpful way to start a conversation about money. Yet that's the way a lot of our money conversations get started is typically seeing something like that, um, getting a wild hair to start having that conversation now because things aren't going the way you want them to go. But if you can instead create a relaxing time and place to specifically talk about money, you know, preferably an environment you love, maybe with a good beer. Um, oh, that's it, how we roll. Right. Yeah. It, it can help that money conversation flow. Uh, Emily and I, we, we get together Sunday nights at 8 p.m. And it's a time after the kids are in bed where, uh, and we talk about other things too, not just money, but that's kind of our family meeting time. And that goes a long way in kind of creating a safe place to talk about our money stuff. And, nice. and, and one way I think to actually initiate that conversation to make it a little bit easier, you know, Jason mentioned that, that his girlfriend's actually really good with money. And one of the things that you can do to start a good conversation is to actually tell her the, the positives that you see in how she handles money. You know, Emily and I, we start off those conversations with like gratitude towards each other. Hey, here's what you've done for me this week. Here's what I've seen in you this week. And that actually just helps stimulate a good conversation in general. But the same can be true when we're talking about money. And you can praise her for how great she is at handling money. And that can actually prompt a conversation. Sometimes just saying something nice can actually really tear down some communication barriers and, and uh, spur a, a good conversation. Nice. I like that y'all do that every single week. I mean, Kate and I have a similar conversation, but it's not planned like that, which is interesting because I feel like you're more the kind of freewheeling person personality, <laughs> well, <laughs> whereas I'm the one that likes to stick to a hard schedule. So I think that's something I'm going to immediately adopt myself. Well, so it was something that Emily was like, we should do this. We should do this. We should do this. And I was like, that sounds great. Um, but I never prioritized <laughs> it and I never did it. And so finally she was like, I mean, I really want to do this and I don't know how else to tell you. She's sticking on the calendar? And, no. Then I was like, oh, she means business. Okay. <laughs> I'm sticking it on the calendar. So it was one of those things where I had to be prompted many times. Okay. <laughs> I was a little a little tone deaf, but it has been um, really good. And it's, it's done some wonders for us being able to talk about just family stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, finance stuff, everything, like the whole gamut of stuff that you have to connect on and having a, a specific time set aside on the calendar really helps make that happen and happen well. I love that. Yeah. And I think Jason and his girlfriend could implement something like that. May I even propose branch and blade and budgets? <laughs> I think that could be a weekly thing that they implement in their lives. Triple B. <laughs> Jason, another thought that we had too was uh, how you could direct your attention towards something else, right? Uh, so for instance, would your girlfriend be willing to read a book or listen to a podcast with you? Uh, our recent conversation with Rachel Cruz popped into my mind uh, when I heard your question. But sometimes a third party can help initiate a conversation like this. And you don't have to pay somebody to do this for you. You don't have to go to counseling. Even just a book or a podcast can be the perfect jumping off point. Um, one of the other things I'm thinking of too in Rachel's book, she talked about how each person has their own money tendencies. And uh, one of those key tendencies is you're either a saver or you're a spender. 
spender. And Jason, it sounds like you are the spender and your girlfriend's the saver. And so something else to keep in mind here is realize that this makes you who you are, right? Like don't try to change the other person. Being able to come to a relationship with balance and, and having a different perspective adds depth and richness to any relationship. And so keep that in mind. But yeah, it is important though to be working towards talking about these things together. Yeah. And I actually think like a lot of that content that Rachel talked about, there's a lot of interesting places to begin having a money conversation, kind of based on the analytical work that she's done. Uh, talking about, yeah, your money type or your money quadrant, those kind of things could start a stimulating, interesting conversation uh, that's less based on the action maybe that someone did that you didn't agree with. And, it, you know, it could, it could just start at a higher level, which can make it more interesting. And I think too, um, Jason, sometimes penny pinchers can have a hard time seeing that they can spend money in positive ways without it negatively affecting them. And I can identify with your girlfriend on this, but uh, even us penny pinchers need to be reminded of the role that money should play in our lives. They need We need the other person in our relationship to kind of pull us out of that to a certain extent in a kind way and, and uh, to remember that money is a tool that can help us to live well. So uh, yeah, be intentional about getting these discussions rolling with your girlfriend. Uh, they do more than just help us be better savers or spenders. I, I actually think, Matt, kind of like you just said, they help deepen our relationship in a really meaningful way. And so if that conversation, if that topic is off limits, that's just not good for a healthy relationship. We need to be able to talk about that. And there's ways, I think, Jason, hopefully with, with some of these um, tips that we just mentioned, that you can get started, get the ball rolling in a way that makes her feel comfortable and ready to kind of open up a little bit. So yeah. All right, Matt, we've got more questions to get to, including one about paying off a mortgage in full or whether that's a bad idea. We'll get to that and more right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. 
Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break and let's take this question about what to do with a chunk of cash that's sitting around. Hello, this is James from Champaign, Illinois. I have a mortgage question for you. In 2015, I refinanced my house at a 2.875% interest rate, a 15-year mortgage. I have a little over nine years left on that mortgage, and then there's a balance of about $210,000. Over the years, I've also paid off my student loans, my car payments, and I regularly contribute to my 401k, and I also have some real estate invested in, in rental properties. I also have about $350,000 in savings that I could use to pay off my mortgage. I wanted to know if you thought that was a good idea or if it would be better to um, continue to have this nest egg considering the uh, pandemic that we're going through. It's been really nice to not have to stress about having uh, money on hand, but I also am anxious to pay off this mortgage one of the suggestions that I, I thought about was to pay off the mortgage and then continue making the mortgage payments back into my savings account so that in seven years I would end up repaying the um, the money that I spent instead of paying off the uh, mortgage in nine years. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your podcast. I really appreciate your your information. I look forward to your podcast and listen to it on a weekly basis. James, thanks so much for that question. And Joel, by the way, did you notice how he just casually mentioned how he had $350,000 just <laughs> sitting there in the bank? 
<laughs> I mean, that's insane. That is, that's awesome. But awesome, yeah, yeah. like that's just incredible. That's a, it's a huge amount of savings, and and I think too, for anybody with a mortgage and you know with a, a decent amount of savings in the bank, this question has probably popped up as as savings rates have kind of gotten crushed recently, and it's just kind of gotten tougher though because mortgage interest rates have gotten down, gone down at the same time. And so, in, in answer to the, this question, James, we'll talk about both the math and the mindset behind how you make this decision. I think, like he said, Matt, um, nest eggs, they're important in an uncertain time period. You don't want to completely deplete your savings in order to pay off. What's a low priority debt? I mean, the mortgage is is literally, uh, typically, it's the lowest priority debt in your life because they come at such low interest rates. So, so paying off something that's at sub 3%, it's, it's usually low on the financial priority scale. That's true. Yeah, it's low on the totem pole. But uh, James, I think a good question to ask yourself is like, what other financial goals do you have? It sounds like you've already eliminated other debts in your life. And, and so there's likely no other debts that are higher than 3%. And so assuming that you're maxing out your 401k every year, then it's time to, to look at other investment options if you want to do them, right? And, and so for someone like you who's crushing your personal finances, you know that you'd very likely be able to earn more than 3% if you invested that money in additional real estate or even in, in a taxable brokerage account. Um, you know, In this way, it's really a simple math problem. But you have to kind of think through whether or not that's something that you want to do or not. You have to think through your personal and your financial goals. But once you've identified what those are, uh, all you have to do is just look to where you're going to get the best bang for your buck. Uh, That's when you're looking at the numbers, right? But it's not always about the numbers. It's not always about the math. Yes, exactly. And that's where there's a money and a mental angle when it comes to this question of ditching a mortgage or not. Matt, Earlier this year, you prioritized paying off a home equity uh, line of credit over investing, even though it wasn't a high priority debt. It was at a pretty low interest rate. I personally paid off a mortgage on an investment property. Again, not a high priority debt typically to to be paying down. You and I, Matt, we made these moves not necessarily because they were the best return on our money from a number standpoint. You know, putting that money instead in more tax advantaged retirement accounts or in a brokerage account ultimately over the years would probably uh, give us a better return. But we did it because it's worth it to know that these are debts we no longer owe, to have them completely out of our lives. It was more of a mental calculation for you and I than it was a dollars and cents one. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a personal experiment as well, because like the numbers, the nerdy numbers side of us are like, like, is this the right thing to do? But, you know, kind of as you and I have grown up a little bit and as we've evolved, we've begun to appreciate and to value the kind of peace of mind that comes with a guaranteed ROI. Like, that, you know, and so by paying off any debt, you know that you're going to at least get that amount, you know, like that you're going to at least get that return on your money. Whereas, like, yes, you should be able to earn more than that if you're invested in the market or in real estate, but it's not guaranteed. Uh, this is a great way to, yeah, to be able to minimize risk as well as simplify your life. You know, earlier I was talking about kind of these personal goals that you might have. And if a personal goal of yours is to have less balls in the air, then eliminating these debts is a good way to go about that. Yeah. And and somebody as conservative as James, if he's got that much money in the bank account, he's probably not going to invest all of it. Right. Right. right? Yeah. He's not looking to stretch himself thin. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And and, and we should all have a certain amount of conservatism, like when it comes to our finances, right? We don't want to be all in on investing to the detriment of an emergency fund or having enough uh, stored away for uh, a rainy day. And I think that's wise, right? There's a there's a huge amount of wisdom to having cash on hand for those needs. And paying off the mortgage gives you something similar. And at the same time, it takes that money out of a savings account that you have it in otherwise that's earning, you know, at best right now, probably like 0.6%. So I think it can make for somebody uh, like James with that much cash on hand sense from a mental and uh, a money standpoint. 
Yeah, it reduces that risk, reduces that leverage. I, feel, I mean, I get fed these videos, Joel, where like I saw this one recently where this guy was like in a cubicle and he's like, I don't know, it was it was a caption. Like he wasn't talking, but the little words were popping up on the Instagram little ad or whatever. <laughs> and the dude was like, I've got over $7 million in debt, but I'm not sweating it at all. <laughs> and the reason why is because I have 131 doors that I manage. And he's just talking about real estate. And yes, like that is something you can do, but that's leverage. And the more leveraged you are, the riskier the situation you put yourself in. And so it just depends on your comfort level with risk. But but James, you know, like Joel was saying, you're in such a solid financial position that it we think it does make sense for you to pay off this mortgage. It sounds like you have no other debt. Uh, and if you can continue investing solidly like you have been, uh, and you will also still be you know, able to maintain a rock solid savings, then pay it off. You know, it's, it sounds like you will still have $140,000 in cash on hand, which means your savings is still in a really great spot, unless uh, your monthly spending is similar to that of a, a French king, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but you know, as you noted, Every month, you'll be replenishing that savings supply quickly as well. So, you know, with all that in mind, we would say for you to to go for it. Let's get to the next question. This one in particular is about negotiating a lower interest rate on your credit cards. Hello, Joel and Matt. My name is Denise from Florida. Just want to say that during this time, your advice has been key to my financial strides. So much so, I need your advice again. One of the tips that you told us about was negotiating a lower interest rate for credit cards. I got mine down from 26% to 14%. This term ends in December, on December 30th though. I know that I can be done with this debt in about three months, but to avoid the higher interest rates, should I borrow money from my 401k through the CARES Act to pay off? knowing that within the next three months, I will be putting the money back into my 401k. Your advice would be appreciated. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that question, Denise. We're glad our advice in the past has been helpful for you. And you know, we're, we're really glad that you were able to negotiate that lower interest rate on your credit card. Um, but you know, on that note, consider going back to the well on that. Your credit card company is no stranger to getting calls like this. And so reach back out and kindly ask for an extension of that lower interest rate, period. The worst they can say is no, so it's worth going for. And especially because of the pandemic, credit card companies are responding better to ask like this. They, they know that folks are hurting. They know that folks are looking for reprieves you know, from their, from their interest, from the, maybe the higher rates of interest that they've been paying. And so I think it's something that they're going to be prepared for. And you might be surprised at the luck you have there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times credit card companies are giving you six months of a lower interest rate. And then you know what? You call back six months later, they'll do it again. So I'm a big fan of using what works and what's worked in the past and, and trying that again. I agree, Matt. And then also too, for Denise, if you have a solid credit, Denise, consider a, a balance transfer card too. We have a list on our site of the best ones to consider that have the lowest transfer fees. We'll link to that article in the show notes. But especially considering uh, your ability to pay off this debt quickly, a balanced transfer card with a 0% interest rate of 12 months, maybe 15 months, should really more than cover you. And it'll mean avoiding to having to even consider taking money out of a 401k or any sort of retirement account. But Denise, if you can't renegotiate that rate down, uh, and maybe your credit isn't in great shape, then just look to see if there are some ways where you can still really go after that debt, right? You only have three months left. So if your rate does shoot back up, look to ways that you can potentially cut back in other areas of your life so that you're able to completely eliminate that additional interest. You know, any way that you're able to reduce your spending is a dollar for dollar return on your money. It's good to remember that even though, you know, there isn't that 10% penalty associated with, you know, tapping your 401k, 
you'll still have to pay taxes, uh, income taxes on that money. And so this is another reason to avoid taking out that money as well. You might be taking out, you know, a thousand bucks or so, but in, in reality, you're going to be withdrawing more than that. Yeah, basically by taking out some of that money now, you'll have a, a higher tax bill come April. That's not ideal either. So yeah, we'd prefer for you not to take money out of your retirement account, especially since it looks like you're so close to paying off the debt completely. If you're just a few months out, there's no reason to complicate things. Take money out of a retirement account. That money in all likelihood will continue to compound uh, for 10 years or longer. So instead, take advantage of the other great options that are out there. Denise, go back to the well with your credit card company, uh, consider a balanced transfer card, and then cut back on your spending to, to get there even more quickly. You're almost there. The lights at the end of the tunnel. Keep up the good work. Denise, I think 2021 is going to be a good year for you. Uh, Joel, we've got a couple more questions, including one about uh, taxes, uh, in particular taxes when you are self-employed. We'll get to those right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So, if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the Money app 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. And this question is about uh, going to a discount cell service provider. Is it worth it? Hi, guys. This is Dean from Sonoma County Wine Country in California. I've really appreciated your show, and I'm wondering if you could delve into the world of mobile virtual network operators, or MVNOs for short. Uh, My family has been saving literally hundreds of dollars a year using these cell companies that use the same signals of the big companies and offer essentially the same product. Plus, I've appreciated owning my own phone outright without a contract and having the freedom to switch carriers if I want to at any time just by swapping out my SIM card. I pay $70 a month for two lines, unlimited talk, text, and data, but it seems like the plans and pricing structures of cell companies across the board, it's getting more competitive with 5G rolling out. Knowing you guys and how much you love to save money, I was wondering, what are your cell phone plan considerations, and is it still worth staying with a quote-unquote budget operator uh, with this upgrade to 5G? Thanks a lot for entertaining my question. And I love beer too, but you should try wine sometime. Thanks. Dean, thanks so much for your question. And I'm actually a a pretty big fan of a nice bottle of wine, although I'm actually intentionally trying to stay away from it because, like, once you start developing a palate, then you only want the good stuff. So, Matt, we're actually, (laughs) the beer that we're having on the show today is a Trader Joe's beer, Uh the two buck chuck, Trader Joe's wine. How do you feel about that? I'm sure Dean would actually probably shudder that I even mentioned it. I don't know if... That, like, I used to enjoy Two Buck Chuck, so we used to live uh, pretty close to a Trader Joe's. But I feel like my tastes have evolved a little bit, and so it's difficult to uh, to kind of go back to Two Buck Chuck level. Uh, but, you know, like a good 10 to $20 bottle of wine. Like, Kate and I, we actually spent some time in Sonoma uh, on a vacation, and I feel like that was my first introduction to some, like, really nice wines. And plus, dude, like, one of the things I love about wineries is, like, it's out there in nature. You know, like, breweries, they ship in all the ingredients, and so you can have a brewery in Anywhere. And typically, they're in like old, rundown parts of town where there's just lots of space for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with wineries, I mean, like they're on site there where the grapes grow. And so every single winery we went to out in Sonoma and Napa were so stinking beautiful. It's like you go for a hike around the oh vineyard, my sort of gosh. Thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, like a lot of them do have trails kind of marked out uh, over the you know the acres there that aren't being used for for grapes. It's beautiful. Uh, it's just not something that I feel like I want to allow myself to get into. You know, like sometimes you have to kind of cap yourself at uh, what you're willing to, to spend. 
money on. I can't have multiple craft beer equivalents. <laughs> it's like forced <laughs> ignorance, essentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna keep, when it comes to wine, I want to keep my head in the sand, at least, you know, for the next, I don't know, foreseeable future. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, well, let's talk about MVNOs. Uh, Dean yes. brought this up. And, and yeah, they, it stands for Mobile Virtual Network Operator. And MVNOs are, are essentially cell phone companies that don't own cell phone towers. They lease them from the bigger cell phone companies like AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. And Dean, uh, we're glad that you've been saving money by going with an MVNO. Honestly, because of the way things work with cell phone providers now, MVNOs are, are much better than they used to be in the old days, and they're almost always the best choice for people. And it's going to, like Dean said, cut their cell phone bill in half or more uh, by ditching a full-service cell phone company, one of the major ones that you see advertising during sporting games and everything else, right? Um, so uh, some of the popular ones, by the way, if you're wondering, well, what companies are MVNO? Uh, Mint, Visible, Boost, Google Fi, those are some of the most popular names in the MVNO space. And those are the places that if you turn there and you go to one of those companies, you're going to save a whole lot more by switching if you're still with one of those bigger companies that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and Dean, on the topic of, of 5G, uh, you know, you're kind of mentioning how that's being rolled out. Man, I don't care about 5G all that much, honestly. Joel, I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. Like you recently purchased a new phone that isn't 5G compatible because you don't even care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got the Pixel 4a, and the other option was to spend $150 more and get the Pixel 4a 5G. Right. And I was like, well, I just don't care. And, and part of it was because from everything I've read about 5G service, at least now, it's not all that impressive. And in actuality, you might get a lower speeds by switching to 5G at this point in time in a whole lot of areas. So is 5G the future? Yes, but is it currently uh, meaningful or going to make a, a big impact on your download speeds when you're out and about? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. I think a big reason why 5G is such a big thing is because of marketing. Man, these cell phone companies have done such a good job just hammering home how important and how much 5G is going to change the world. There are even podcasts that are completely dedicated to 5G and not just individual episodes, entire shows. It's like, what's going on here? You know. <laughs> um, but also something else to keep in mind is that a lot of these MVNO companies are offering 5G service just like the big providers. Uh, one of our favorites, Mint, is on the 5G train. So you don't actually have to go with a major cell phone provider or even pay more for the 5G service if you're able to maybe score a decent deal on a 5G phone. Uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't bend over backwards to get a new 5G phone uh, when the technology is still in its infancy. You know, that's something that you have control over. That part's up to you. We are already seeing big discounts on the devices, uh, and pretty soon every new phone will have 5G capabilities. And so, Dean, you're asking, you know, if it's worth it to stick with these discount providers. And in our opinion, it's most definitely worth it to, to hang on to your Visible, your Google Fi, Mint, whoever it is that you happen to be with. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're capping <laughs> their capabilities at 4G, probably still not worth it to, to switch unless you're just super into technology. Um, but like you said, Matt, a lot of these MBNO providers are starting to offer 5G anyway at no additional cost. All you need is the compatible hardware. So Dean, I hope that helps. Hope you get 5G at a reasonable price point. All right, Matt, let's get to our last question of the day. This one is about self-employment taxes and then investing too as a solopreneur. Hey, how to money. I'm calling from Denver, Colorado, and I just have some questions about being self-employed with my own LLC. Um, first question is about paying taxes. I do pay quarterly taxes since my work fluctuates quite a bit throughout the year, um, but I tend to always get fees at the end of the year for underpayment. Um, and I'm wondering if that's from underpaying 
overall throughout the entire year or if I need to be accurate quarter to quarter and have them be equal to each other. Um, and if that's the case, how do I account for a big jump in sales at the end of the year? Uh, my second question is about setting up a retirement account and whether I should fund it through my business or if I should fund it through my personal account or maybe both. Thanks, guys. She didn't say her name, but that question was from Amber. Uh, Amber, thank you so much for your question. We we appreciate that. Uh, let's get to your question about tax, right? So, you know, in your question, even though you mentioned your uh, LLC, you know, I think you're asking about your personal quarterly estimates. But either way, yeah, it, it sucks getting hit with a penalty come tax season if you've underpaid for the previous year. By the way, if this is your first time making this mistake, Matt, you can write a letter to the IRS asking for forgiveness of that penalty, claiming your ignorance, and you can see what happens. Oftentimes, they actually will um, not make you pay the penalty. If they get back to you at all. <laughs> That's a good point. They're not really responding to people right now. Um, but you know, a way to ensure, Amber, that uh, you're making accurate estimates is to calculate your effective tax rate. And assuming your income this year is similar to last year, a super simple way is to take the total taxes you paid last year and divide that by your taxable income. That'll give you your effective tax rate. Or another way you can think about it is that's your average tax rate. And so, for example, if you made 75000 last year and you ended up paying a total of $12,000 in taxes, uh, then 12000 divided by 75000 gives you a 16% tax rate. And so, every quarter this year, uh, what you would do is you would have wanted to make uh, quarterly estimates of 16% of your income. And so, this means that by the end of the year, you'll have paid the proper amount uh, and you should you know, be able to avoid any penalties. Granted, I'm not a tax professional, but that is how I've done it. And it's a really easy way for you to go about calculating your effective tax rate. I've done that for years now without any issues. But you know, often we discuss how it's not necessary to hire a professional, in particular when it comes to investing. Uh, there's not a lot of moving parts. Nothing often changes all that much. But when it comes to your taxes, that is an area that Joel and I both feel that it's worth paying for a tax professional. The, the tax laws are often changing year to year. Uh, and oftentimes, too, they can find deductions and, and things that you didn't know existed. In that way, paying for a tax professional uh, would not only cover the cost of, of that individual, but you could even come out ahead by paying less taxes overall. Yeah, not a whole lot of moving parts, like you said, in the retirement arena. But in the tax arena, a lot of moving parts. Yeah, <laughs> There are a lot of things that are just a lot more difficult to figure out. And I think the more complicated somebody's situation is, the more likely they should consider hiring a tax professional in particular. So yeah, Amber, hope that helps. But let's get on to the retirement, Matt, the, the fewer moving parts. But actually, there are more moving parts when you're talking about solopreneurs investing for retirement uh, than you are if you you know work a traditional nine to five for an employer and you've got something akin to a 401k that you're offered at work. But the good thing is that self-employed business owners still have access to a traditional or Roth IRA, that is, if they meet the income requirements. And I, th I think, Amber, we'd initially like to see you contribute to a Roth. It's also the least complex option, which is nice. But if you have more than $6,000 that you want to invest, because that's the cap that you can put into a Roth IRA every year, let's talk about uh, what some of your other best options are, too. Um, they do get a touch complex. And uh, Amber, we're assuming you don't have any employees. And if that's the case, a solo 401k is often the best option. It offers the most flexibility for you to be able to contribute a, a huge chunk of your own personal income and then also have your business do profit sharing to contribute a boatload more. Uh, if you're a gung-ho investor and business owner, then the solo 401k is a fantastic option and you can contribute up to a maximum of 
$57,000 a year, which is uh, quite a lot. If you're um, into being a super saver, you want to invest a ton of your money, uh, the solo 401k is a great option to help you get there. Yeah, the, really the biggest difference between investing in, in either something like a, a, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA versus something that includes your business, Amber, it, it really does come down to the amount that you're wanting to invest. And so if you're if you're looking at sticking to uh, the, the limits at around $6,000, then we would recommend something that's easier to manage. But if you, yeah, if you're like Joel said, a gung-ho investor, if you're looking to go crazy with your investing and, and setting aside a large amount of money, if, uh, if you're earning a lot, then definitely look into a solo 401k even a SEP IRA might be a good option for you there. Uh, we'll put a link to an article from NerdWallet that describes the, the pros and cons of both of those different accounts um, you know, for particular business setups because they can get a little complicated. Uh, and we'll, we'll also link to some of our favorite places to open up one of these accounts. And of course, it's going to be the uh, low-cost companies like Vanguard, Schwab, uh, and Fidelity. They are all of our favorites. You're going to have a lot of options there for something like a Roth IRA, but also too for some of those business options as well. Okay, you can do either or both <laughs> with any of those companies, and that's a great place to get started. But Amber, best of luck in getting those taxes straight and in investing for retirement in one of these vehicles. Yeah, Amber, hopefully we were able to get you pointed in the right direction. Uh, and you know, when it comes to the taxes, there's still time. Uh, we're at the end of December now, but you still have until January 15th of next year to get that fourth quarterly estimate in. And if you know that you've underpaid up until this point, now's your chance to make up that difference to, to make sure that you avoid that penalty once you, you file and submit your returns. Yeah, you can make up for lost time <laughs> by paying a little bit extra to cover up for those other quarters where you underpaid. All right, Matt, let's uh, get back to the beer that we had on the show today. This one is Trader Joe's Vintage Spice Ale. Uh, this is a 2020 edition, of course. And I, I want to know what are your thoughts on this beer that Trader Joe's releases every year. It's a true Belgian style. What's your take on this one? Man, this is pretty dang tasty. I'm glad that you and I are drinking a Belgian. I feel like this is a style that you and I, that we don't drink all that often. You know, we were actually, before we started recording, we we're both talking about how you and I, we both got into craft beer via Belgian beers. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Because like before that, uh, you know, as recent 21-year-olds, all we had had to drink were just kind of like American mass-produced <laughs> lagers, right? The Bud Lights, the PBRs, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. But specifically, our introduction to, to Belgian beers was this amazing bar in Decatur uh, called Brickstore Pub, and they specialize in Belgian beers. They've got uh, some amazing stuff on draft. This certainly kind of takes me back to some of those days when I was first learning about, like, what is a Belgian single? What's a Dubel? What's a Tripel? You know, what's a Quad? Learning about all these different types of beers, starting to nerd out a little bit. But yeah, this was almost like a throwback beer for me. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, man, I do love a good Belgian beer for sure. And, and a Quad is probably my favorite. It's like the, the deepest, the richest, the darkest. And it's it like the stout version of the Belgian beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, this one had um, that going on. It was kind of felt like a, a, a lighthearted Quad with some winter spices tossed in there. So, I mean, it, it just feels like the perfect time to be drinking this, right? At the very end of 2020, a nice throwback beer with some delicious festive flavors. Um, I, I really like this beer, man. And, and I feel like Trader Joe's in partnership with, I don't know how you pronounce it. I always want to say Unibrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's Unibrew or something. Unibrow, like Hugh Atchison. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if Local this is chef. actually pronounced, but uh, we'll go with Unibrow just for fun. But, um, yeah, they, they always um, knock it out of the park with this one, and it's, uh, it's something I look forward to every year. 
Yeah, it reminded me of uh, my grandma used to always make this brown bread, which was kind of like this molasses-based bread that she would make in an old coffee can. So it kind of had like the, you know, the ridges in it from the can. It's like an old school type of bread. But yeah, molasses kind of had this peppery action going on. It almost had like a, a little bit of that Belgian banana flavor as well. Some of that fruit, but definitely a delicious beer. I'm glad this is one that you picked up at Trader Joe's, which by the way, why are you at Trader Joe's? Like you're always either at uh, Costco or Aldi some, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, right? My wife wanted some specialty tea there. So Ooh. I went in to grab that for her. But also Trader Joe's is a great place to grab flowers uh, is a great great place to grab greeting cards for people or birthday cards they're super oh, that's cheap right we've talked about we've talked about the birthday cards yes. before they, yeah they got the one dollar birthday cards they're very well made <laughs> they're very classy um a, a few other things too some of their pre-packaged goods are actually actually pretty good so um yeah i, I like going to trader joe's on occasion it, i don't make it there very often um but definitely every winter for this one you go to the one by piedmont park yeah nice yeah so kate and i used to live you know way back in the day we used to live by the one uh in buckhead but no longer and so because of that we never go to trader joe's Aldi for life, baby. <laughs> All right. Listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. We'll make sure to link to any of the resources that we may have mentioned during this episode. Yeah. And please make sure to tune into Wednesday's episode. It's going to be a really fun year-end episode celebrating the listener wins from the community. A, a lot of our listeners sent in their listener wins. It's going to be a super fun episode. We, we really look forward to it. And so we'll see you back here then. Uh, all right, Matt. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.